0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It is Maddie and Ethan for another episode of the Vine to Mind podcast.
1: And on this episode of the show, Maddie and I are spotlighting one of our absolute favorite grape varieties. We're so excited to talk about it today. That is Sauvignon Blanc. Hope you enjoy
0: I am so excited for today.
1: When we talked about doing this, I just wanted to do it immediately. We didn't have to plan it out. Sauvignon Blanc?
0: No, there's nothing to plan. I think you and I know just about everything there is to know about this grape. If not, we want to know it. I mean, and it's a good excuse for us to have some Sauvignon Blanc in our hand right now.
1: No, I agree. I think all of our friends and family are about annoyed (laughs) with us right now because of the amount of times we talk about Sauvignon Blanc, the amount of times I drink Sauvignon Blanc. I had Sauvignon Blanc last night, mm. I had Sauvignon Blanc the night before that, and now I'm enjoying a Sauvignon Blanc with you as we record this episode.
0: I might have to have a bottle tonight then.
1: I mean, they're all so different. <laughs> Sauvignon Blanc is great in so many different ways. It's just easy. It's easy going. It's like, Maddie, if you were a great variety, I feel like you would be Sauvignon Blanc. You get it along with everybody, just like Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon
0: Blanc is pretty versatile.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, it's fun for the winemaker because they can manipulate this a little bit into their own style. I mean, it's great for the consumer because there's so many different styles. It's incredibly food friendly. And at the end of the day, it actually can be really good for the producer because it's kind of vigorous and can make a lot of money. So with all that being said, there's a lot to talk about. So let's talk about Sauvignon Blanc. Let's do it. Okay, Ethan. So before we go any further, I think we need to stop and talk about the history of Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. And I think most of you guys can presume that Sauvignon Blanc is indeed a French grape. Now, they're not for sure where exactly it originated from, either Sancerre up in the Loire Valley or in Bordeaux, which is, you know, in southwest France, right along the the coast there. But they think it was around the 17th or 18th century when Sauvignon Blanc was first discovered. And a little side note here, too, when we're talking about the origins of these grapes, Sauvignon Blanc is actually Cabernet Sauvignon's parent. I mean, Sauvignon Blanc... And Cabernet Franc came together to produce Cabernet Sauvignon.
1: That's the collab of the century. That's the <laughs> collab of the millennium or uh, whatever's further than I, I that. I think so. I That's think a so. great collaboration. We
0: have a lot to thank SB for. And so this is a French grape variety and it was planted throughout the Loire Valley and primarily in Serre, Puy Fumet, you have in Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. But then they started planting it all over the world. They realized this grape is very vigorous. It grows in many different environments. And it actually came to the U.S. in the 1880s. It was actually a man, his name was Charles Wetmore, and he brought it to Livermore. I've been there. Yeah? yeah? What do we think?
1: Oh, I love it. It's definitely one of those regions that we should definitely put in one of our On The Rise podcast. They still grow a lot of Sauvignon Blanc down there. I believe Sauvignon Blanc is actually one of the most planted varieties in the Livermore Valley. The wines that come out of there are absolutely fantastic. Back in the day, I know they used a lot of Sauvignon Blanc and a lot of Semillon, to make wines for the church, to also make mm. sweet wines. They're probably making sweet wines for the church, per se. <laughs> yeah,
0: there we go. Yeah. And actually, funny you say sweet wines because post-Prohibition, Sauvignon Blanc became really like a bulk grape out here. And they started making the bulk sauterne, you could say. Yeah. Um, That was their own style. And it was just pretty much sweet Sauvignon Blanc, and Sauvignon Blanc kind of got a bad name for itself around that time. Post-Prohibition, it was just seen as cheap, sweet wine, and it really lost a lot of popularity um, for many years until 1968, and that was kind of a turning point for this grape, at least Mm -hmm. out here in California, Um, and that was, of course, when Robert Mondavi coined the name Fumé Blanc, which was the, his style of Sauvignon Blanc where he decided to put the Sauvignon Blanc into oak barrels and create his own style per se.
1: You know, it's actually funny. If you think about the consumer preferences back then, a lot of people like sweeter wines. They didn't like what Sauvignon Blanc is known for. It, they're typically dry. They're screaming acidity, which I absolutely love. People didn't like that style back then. So that probably influenced The trend of sweeter wines, like the white Zinfandeliers and whatnot, which did help people get in to wine, per se. They've gradually moved on. Now, what does everybody want? Everybody wants Sauvignon Blanc. And thanks to Robert Mondavi for creating the Fumé Blanc, because he kind of was able to trick people, you know? It's not Sauvignon Blanc anymore. It's Fumé Blanc. It's the Smoked Blanc, which really, he wasn't creating anything new. He was just copying what they're doing in some of the other great regions, like Bordeaux, per se. But what makes Sauvignon Blanc great besides Maddie and I just continuously telling you how great it is? Because really, folks, you're going to hear it first. You're going to hear it again. It is <laughs> a great wine. It is. But how it grows. First of all, what it translates to in French, Sauvignon Blanc means savage white, wild white. It's because it looks like a wild wine. And probably before the 17th century, it was grown as a wild wine. They didn't even discover it or think about it till then. But they probably made wine out of it. It's vigorous, it grows almost anywhere, it's an ease to the consumer because it always keeps its characteristic. You can grow it on the mountainsides, you can grow it on in the fluvial soils along riverbanks, it still grows and it grows well, and it still maintains that acidity, which of course makes your mouth water and what makes it appealing.
0: That's what we all love, we all yeah. love the acidity.
1: It's an ease to the consumer, but it's also an ease to the vintner and to the winemaker.
0: Absolutely. And you said something, too, that's kind of interesting, is that it grows so well in so many different places. Mm-hmm. And no matter what's the ranges of the Sauvignon Blanc, I feel like you still see a lot of the key characteristics of the grape itself. And Ethan, I've got a little hot take for you with Sauvignon Blanc. Maddie's hot takes. Maddie's hot takes. Here we go. Uh, so whenever we can start going to banquets or weddings or conventions again, hopefully soon. Well, you know, they typically will have a house wine that they'll be serving, which is great. We all know it's not the nicest wine, typically. I mean, unless you're at some fancy event, that's awesome. But chances are, if they have a white wine, if they have a Sauvignon Blanc, that is what I'm going for, because it may not be the most expensive or the nicest style of wine to Mm -hmm. choose from, but Sauvignon Blanc still, even at, you know, lower costs, can still taste really good, and it can still have everything you want in a wine, like the acidity, you get the fruit character, and it's just, it's, you know, it's perfect for anything.
1: Yeah, if they don't have Sauvignon Blanc, I'm drinking whiskey.
0: That yeah, maybe just give me a Bud Light or something too. <laughs> uh
1: you're absolutely right, Maddie. And sauvignon Blanc, I mean, for so many reasons, it's a great wine. So let's go back to the characteristic of the grape and sure. the grapevine itself. So it has it's it's pretty rich in two particular aromatic compounds. When it's growing, it has a compound. Called pyrazines, which a lot of grape varieties have. And pyrazines are a preservative that's found in like green vegetables. It's that green characteristic that is brought out in a lot of different wines. So, like Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, see where I'm going here? A lot of those Bordeaux varieties sure. have the pyrazines. That is that, that green bell pepper, the jalapeno, even a good amount of that grapefruit and that gooseberry or the cat pea smell come from the pyrazine chemical. Now, it also has something called thiols and has ate a lot of these thiols. And thiols occur after fermentation. And these are these incredible aromatics that come out after fermentation. So think of like that tropical fruit, like the mango, the papaya, the guava, uh, as well as stone fruit, like the white peach and the apricot. Sauvignon Blanc has plenty of both of those. Mm -hmm. And depending on where it is grown, it responds to the environment. And I know we say that about a lot of different grapes and most grapes do that, but there is a noticeable difference between where you grow one Sauvignon Blanc and where you grow another.
0: There truly is a big sense of terroir. I think with this grape, almost more, arguably more than just about any other grape.
1: I 100% agree.
0: Yeah, so should we go through some of the key regions? Yeah. So uh, first let's start with France. I guess when we say the key regions, What I mean, I mean, there's Sauvignon Blanc grown in so many different countries Mm -hmm. all over the world. But if you say you're taking an exam and you're going to get blind tasted on a Sauvignon Blanc, chances are it's probably going to come from one of three countries. That is France, New Zealand, or the U.S. So let's start with France, where it was first originated. In France, it's likely planted in the Loire Valley, um, the upper Loire, central Loire. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to see Sancerre, Puy Fumé most likely. And here you're gonna get kind of the clean classic characteristics of the Sauvignon Blanc. And for the most part here, they're not gonna use a lot of new oak. So again, it's the classic Sauvignon Blanc. And one thing when we're talking about this region in particular, I have to mention a classic food pairing. And there's so many different things that go into the science behind food and wine pairings, but one of them is what grows together goes together. Absolutely. And I guess kind of growing, but, um, there's a lot of goats there's a lot of creameries here there's a lot of goat cheese produced Mm -hmm. in the loire valley fresh goat cheese and Sauvignon blanc is truly i mean it's a match made in heaven it doesn't get much better
1: than that i actually have a block of rosemary thyme goat cheese at home
0: laura chanel laura chanel
1: and i do have an open bottle of Sauvignon blanc still as i'm sure you're not surprised and you're right and of course there are some anomalies one of the most famous producers of the loire valley course is Didier Dagenot. And a lot of times he has his own style where he's gonna use those new oak barrels but that's like I said an anomaly for the most part they're not using a lot of that new oak characteristic it is different when you go south to Bordeaux though sure yeah
0: you see a lot more oak
1: you see a lot more oak, especially in the Graves or Paysac Leonon, they typically blend in some or even a good amount of Semillon as well to complement the Sauvignon Blanc, add a little bit more of a structure to the wine. Now you get to the the other side of the river where you're in the middle and between the rivers or Entre du Mer, those are great bang for your buck wines. And for those who love Sauvignon Blanc and you go to your local wine shop and you're getting that just like that simple, not too expensive Sauvignon Blanc from the new world, if you see an Entre du Mer, don't be afraid to give it a try. Those aren't going to empty your wallet and they're excellent, excellent wines.
0: No, for sure. I think some of my favorite Sauvignon Blancs probably are coming from Bordeaux. Um, especially the ones that are aged in oak, but again, like you said, they can empty your wallet pretty quickly there and that use of new oak is it's not cheap.
1: So. It's cool to see what the new oak does to the pyrazine character in the wine. The, you lose a lot of those pyrazines as the grape ripens. So, a lot of the Sauvignon Blancs that are grown in warmer climates, they get a lot more sunlight, like places in South America, like the United States. Those typically lose a little bit more of that pyrazine. So it's not that like that cut grass, that jalapeno character that you you're so used to with Savion Blancs. But then you go to places like you know Sancerre, where it's a lot cooler, you still get some of that that aromatic consistency from mm-hmm. the pyrazines. It's not too much into your face, but it's still there.
0: And that's what's cool. I mean, it's within the same country, but two dramatically different styles of Sauvignon Blanc.
1: Absolutely. And then we're going down under (laughs) where New Zealand, which I think is now the self-proclaimed new world capital of Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, anywhere you go, there is a New Zealand and more particularly a Marlborough New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc on your wine list or on your shelf.
0: And Ethan, the coolest thing I think about this region here is that they have a really young winemaking history. I mean, they Mm -hmm. really haven't been making wine at this level for more than a few decades. And they are on the world stage, especially when it comes to Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, Sauvignon Blanc and New Zealand are almost synonymous with one another these days. And of course, like you said, it's very distinct. It's going to be dramatically different than any of these other styles that we're talking about today. New Zealand it's an island in the middle of the ocean it's cool and because of that those pyrazines are not going to ripen out like they are at other places Mm -hmm. and it smells like you just cut into a grapefruit i mean it is so citrusy it's so zippy the grapes don't achieve the same sugar levels that they do in other places throughout the world and again that'll bring you more of those citrusy kind of green characteristics in the wine but also you're going to have lower alcohol styles of wine too. And we actually recently did a tasting as a team here, a competitive set tasting of yeah. a, a few different New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs. And it was great to taste them side by side. But it was really interesting to look at the spec sheets of them because almost every single one, actually every single one, did have a slight bit of residual sugar in the wine. But you really, I mean, you, it's hard to detect that because the acidity is so high. So that mm-hmm. really helps balance it out a little bit. You see this also in Germany, too. Um, when the acidity is so high, you almost need a tiny bit of RS. For the reasoning.
1: What's up For, For the Riesling. For the
0: Riesling. And in this case, yeah, Sauvignon Blanc as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, Marlborough, New Zealand, which is the northern exactly. part of the South Island, there's about 26,000 hectares planted of vines in that area. No doubt it's the most popular wine-growing region, the most notable wine-growing region in New Zealand. 85% of those vines, matter are planted the Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. That's pretty remarkable. (laughs) They know what they're doing there. And they're all about the sustainability. They're all about modern winemaking because it's still pretty young, as you mentioned. Stainless steel fermentations, no malolactic fermentation. You rarely see any kind of oak. Again, there are some anomalies that will use oak and using screw caps, which is, of course, sustainable for winemaking and for the environment, of course, too. Okay, so we talked about France and we talked about New Zealand. Now we're going back to the northern hemisphere. We're coming home here in Savien Blanc in the new world
0: I love it yes I mean there's I think here we're we're starting to really make our own identity with something Blanc. yeah because like I was saying at the beginning of this podcast I mean we had it initially as just jugged sweet wine it was our own version of sauterne mm-hmm. and then that transformed into the fume style and now especially I mean especially here in Napa Valley you see a number of different styles. You see some that are strictly stainless steel. You see some that are stainless steel with a touch of Lee's aging. You see some that are aged in barrels, some that are in concrete, some in acacia barrels, some blended with Simeon. I mean, you name it, they're making it here. And I think that is so cool. There's so many different styles of Sauvignon Blanc that you're finding here in, I mean, yes, Napa, but all throughout California.
1: Well, not gonna lie, winemaking is an art. Really, they the winemakers are artists. It's not an easy job. It's a very tough job where it's constantly hands-on. It's working long hours. And a grape like Sauvignon Blanc is a great way for winemakers to show off their artiste. You mm-hmm. know? Think of it as like this they were given the most beautiful, most prestigious palette, the best paints, the best paint brush. And now all they get to do is just use it to paint with it. And it responds well. Because, as you mentioned, you can make Sauvignon Blanc in so many different ways. You know, our neighbor can make Sauvignon Blanc with new oak and malectic fermentation. Ours could be the complete opposite. But you always think of it like Napa. Napa Valley, the Fumé Blancs, or even the traditional styles that are just using stainless steel or neutral barrel or a blend of some of those. But there's some other great regions in the United States that make some amazing Sauvignon Blancs. I mean, one of my particular favorites is the Russian River Valley. Mm-hmm. It's cooler up there. Sauvignon Blanc, again, as we mentioned, responds well to almost anywhere it's grown. Yes, they make great pinots, great shards, great straws. But look out for some Sauvignon Blancs from the Russian River Valley as well. Some and, of my personal favorites.
0: Yeah, even even throughout like the Central Coast, you're starting to see Sauvignon Blanc down there as well. I think you know Chardonnay is obviously it's so widely planted everywhere, and Chardonnay is great. And it's, again, it's kind of somewhat easier to grow as well. But mm-hmm. Sauvignon Blanc is, is sneaking up on that. I mean, Sauvignon Blanc for the last con, a few years has seen double-digit growth. And to this date, it is, well, it's, here in Napa Valley, it's the second most planted white grape variety. But That's in awesome. the world, it's the eighth most widely planted grape. That's pretty remarkable. It's
1: easy to make money off of it, too.
0: Yeah. Like you said, it's it's vigorous. It's yeah. the wild grape, the wild vine. And I mean, so if you're out there selling grapes or if you're trying to make wine from you know, you're a couple acres, you can make a lot of wine or sell a lot of grapes from that.
1: Yeah, actually the most expensive wine made in the Napa Valley is a palate-cleansing <laughs> Sauvignon Blanc-based wine. So, I mean, and then we look at other reasons around the world. We covered the big three, mm-hmm. but look at like down in South America, Chile has like 30,000 acres planted of Sauvignon Blanc. Chilean Sauvignon Blancs are a great example of another one that's rich in these piercings, as a lot of Chilean wines are, especially the ones that are coming out of the San Antonio Valley.
0: And even, Ethan, one that we can, I think it's very easy to overlook is Italy. Italy actually has the right. second most acreage of Sauvignon Blanc out of any other country after France. They have about like 45,000 acres, which is crazy.
1: And I know you and I have both enjoyed a few of those before, but you don't see a lot of those. You kind of think of like those traditional Italian varieties. There's also a lot of international varieties planted in Italy. And as you mentioned, Sauvignon Blanc does great there. Stellenbosch, South Africa, they do that as well. I mean, Austria is growing more and more Sauvignon Blanc every year. I know you and I enjoyed one in one of those Austrian classes that we sat mm-hmm. through. And then, of course, our nightcap for today's episode, folks, is the wine we're currently enjoying, a German Sauvignon Blanc. Ethan, this is amazing. And well, it's because we both love acidity, and we know how acidic the Rieslings are and the muller Thurgau's are that come out of this, this particular part of the world, but Sauvignon Blanc, Now, this producer is a little bit more modern. They're also making like Chardonnay out there. But this, stainless steel completely. It's crisp. It's acidic. It's mouth-watering.
0: It's so citrusy, too. I mean, I think this is kind of a cool hybrid between... It's like an old-world version of a New Zealand-style Sauvignon Blanc. Because it's a very cool region up there. But at the same time, you get this kind of like old funk, kind of like slight bit of reduction, too, but not too much.
1: And it still has a slight bit of that green character, but... There's a strong emphasis on that stone fruit that comes out of this wine. It's beautiful. I mean, I didn't pay a lot of money for this. No. Uh, it's coming from a great Umbaga beat. It's coming from the falls of Germany, which is, of course, bordered with Alsace, France. But excellent wine. This is just goes to show that, of course, this wine is fantastic no matter where it comes from. It responds well to the climate. It grows almost anywhere. Drink more Sauvignon Blanc, folks.
0: So drink more Sauvignon Blanc eat some more goat cheese, and continue to listen to the Vine Mine Mind podcast.